the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. We are all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me. At Shalom Klein. Uh, it's a jam-packed program. Uh, we've got a great lineup for you, beginning with my friend Maureen Wozniak, who's joining me here in studio. But we've got uh, some fantastic guests throughout the program. We're powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Give them a call, 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510, or check out their website, tandemhr.com. You can also call us here in studio. If you have questions, comments, feedback, we are at 312 642 5,600. So as promised, first up on the program, joining me here in studio is uh, a friend who I haven't seen in quite a while, Maureen Wozniak, who is a major uh, accounts manager at the Chicago Better Business Bureau. Maureen, welcome to the program. Thank you, Shalom. Absolutely. So Maureen, um, I've uh, known you through, uh, through the world of business and you speak the language of business, which is why this topic is so appropriate and I'm so excited to have it with you. So Maureen, let's start with what is the Better Business Bureau? I know we've, we've talked with some of your colleagues in the past, but for those that are not familiar, what does the, the Better Business Bureau uh, actually do? Well, actually, we're the nation's largest self-regulatory agency. We're a nonprofit, which a lot of people don't know. And we actually, what we do is try to advance marketplace trust. So we have a community of trusted companies that belong to us. It's a membership organization. Now, not every company can be um, invited to join the Better Business Bureau based on their track record. But what we do is that we try to advance marketplace trust. And uh, throughout our conversation, I'm certainly going to want to discuss both what the consumer experiences as well as what a business experiences. But let's stick on that theme for a moment regarding the consumer. Um, Obviously, you have very high standards because you know that people are often going through the website, giving, uh, giving the Better Business Bureau a call, and asking about a company's reputation. So what sort of standards do you have in place? Why would one company be recommended and another perhaps would be frowned upon? Well, actually, we don't recommend any particular company. We believe that our format is to have each company stand on their own merit. So we have eight pillars, uh, what we call the eight pillars of ethical company behavior. And we look at every company and put those pillars, and that's how we come up with our rating. So those, uh, the eight, um, you know, concerns marketplace trust, 
and um, advertising honestly, telling the truth, be transparent, and safeguard privacy, which is one of our newest initiatives. But actually, every company that um, in the marketplace re offer a rating for people, not only consumers, but business people to come and check out that business and to find out, are they a good ethical business in the marketplace? That's really important because um, certainly many people have experiences. And I know that especially in this day and age, people are, uh, should be vocal about their experiences. They should share uh, when perhaps they they feel uh, that they have they, that they may have been slighted, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that's important. And I know that the Better Business Bureau nationwide has a reputation for being that uh, that sort of the clearinghouse for some of that information to ensure that consumers and uh, certainly our audience, our business owners, before you do business with somebody, check with the Better Business Bureau and find out um, what their reputation may be. So, uh, Maureen, obviously you are uh, in the Chicago office. Mm -hmm. So the Better Business Bureau that services the Chicagoland area, what is the region that your office and your team covers? We service northern Illinois. Just take the state of Illinois and divide it in half. We go to the Wisconsin border, Iowa border, the Indiana border. And we have roughly about 9,000 accredited companies here in northern Illinois. But we service everyone within our community. And so whether you're accredited as a business or not, or a, a person who is, who is looking to do business with a company, um, so you don't have to be a member to have our services. We give our services away for free for everyone, every business. We, it's so funny because when people, when I talk to people, they constantly know us as a consumer, but they don't know us as a business owner. We are here to service business owners too. That's great. And uh, Maureen, in preparing for today's uh, conversation, I found a little known fact that actually your website is actually very, very heavily trafficked. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that. Thank you, Shalom. (laughs) Actually, we're one of the most heavily trafficked websites in North America. As a nonprofit, we're not out there really saying that in the marketplace because that's not what we're all about. But because people trust us. We have one of the most heavily trafficked websites, but not only do people trust us, so does Google. So when you type in a company's name and you type in that word review, a keyword, you want to review that company, more times than not, Google's going to place our information right there on that first page. It's imperative. I feel sorry for business owners today that they're constantly having to be out there on the on the Internet telling people that they're a good ethical company what we try to do is give them that format and that platform to go out and say, you can trust us. Even if they're not a member of the BBB, we are happy to say that they're a trustworthy company. But that torch, that that logo that so many people are, are, are so, uh, it, it's so common and, 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 and so popular, that means that somebody has actually gone through the process that they have actually been, yes. uh, is the word vetted? That's right. I'm glad you asked that. So, Companies or business people look to become accredited and support what we do in the community. And we have as big as companies as Zurich Insurance or A.J. Gallagher, Walgreens Discover, all the way down to one to two employee companies here as members. And many of them get accredited because they want to tell people whether you're looking to work for them or you're looking to do business with them that they're a good company they'll be taken care of. And other time companies want to just join because they like what we do in the community. McDonald's is a member of the Better Business Bureau. They're not going to sell you more hamburgers because they're a credit. 
but they like what we do. They have thousands of employees that we help here in Chicago every day. Every time I buy a hamburger, I always look to see. <laughs> uh, to see, uh, I look for an accredited business. I knew only. I liked you, Shalom. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, certainly, the Better Business Bureau. I love that. I love that point that uh, the company, the organization, I should say, yep. is certainly very involved in community, but also very involved in monitoring. Uh, certainly, right now, we've just been uh, actually talking uh, uh, before we came on the air about the hurricanes. Um, yes. And and there's a lot of unfortunately bad people that are out there that that like to I hate to use the word but scam yeah. um, other people and I know that your team is uh, on guard for those for those efforts and you alert um, through media and I know we featured some of those stories on this program yes Steve Burnus is our CEO he's on TV all the time trying to educate people um, here locally about the local scams but you can come to our website we constantly are posting we just did a whole. Um, post around the hurricane and what were identified some bad nefarious players that are already trying to take advantage of it. So definitely come to the BBB. Not only uh, we have a part of the BBB called give.org, G-I-V-E.org, that accredits every charity out there. Um, All our services are free to the community. And as you asked earlier, Shalom, about becoming a member, that's why a lot of uh, businesses like to become members of the BBBs because what we do here for the community and try to keep their employees safe. Well, that's a uh, message that resonates with me. It's a message that resonates with all of our listeners. And believe it or not, Maureen, our time is running out. And I want to make sure that our listeners can get a hold of you, whether they own a business or certainly they want to learn more about the Better Business Bureau because something you said about community involvement resonates with them. How can they get a hold of you? Best way to get a hold of me is my office phone, which is 312 477 7441. Fantastic. Maureen Wozniak, the major accounts manager at the Better Business Bureau serving uh, Chicago and Northern Illinois. Great organization. It's a pleasure to have you, and I look forward to having you back on the program. For our listeners uh, that didn't jot that down the first time, let's get your number one more time. It's 312-477-7441. Or just go to bbb.org and you can find our contact information. Fantastic. Well, appreciate you coming on the air. Appreciate you coming into the studio with your wonderful family. (laughs) Um, You can uh, get on my Facebook page, Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein. We are actually streaming the show uh, through Facebook Live. Uh, You can always download podcasts from our conversation today with Maureen Wozniak from the Chicago from the Better Business Bureau, once again, servicing uh, Chicago and the in Northern Illinois. And that podcast and all of our conversations today will be posted on the website about an hour after the program. You can follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. Once again, we are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Check them out online, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. Coming up, we are going to be talking with a fantastic entrepreneur. He's going to tell us a little bit about some of his experiences. This is the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're going to be back in just a moment. Chicago, don't touch that dial. Check out my website, shalomkline.com, where you can download the podcast. We'll be right back and get down to business. Jobs and entrepreneurship. What a great conversation with Maureen Wozniak from the Better Business Bureau. So speaking of business, I'm thrilled to be joined by Chris Peterson, um, who unfortunately wasn't able to join us here in studio. But uh, Chris, uh, welcome to the program. 
Oh, Shalom. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I am uh, sorry I couldn't make it in person today, but uh, hopefully, you know, we'll get up to, back to Chicago another time. Absolutely. But uh, your roots are here, and I know that uh, you have quite an interesting story of entrepreneurship. You went to University of Illinois uh, at Champaign. And uh, tell us a little bit about your story from uh, sort of how your ideas uh, developed and, uh, and where you are now. Yeah, so basically, you know, I grew up actually in the western suburbs out in uh, out in St. Charles and, uh, you know, just kind of spent the childhood out there. And eventually when I uh, went to college, I went to Boston College out in the East Coast and I did so on an ROTC scholarship. And so kind of in exchange for the Army paying for school, I owed four years uh, afterwards as an Army officer. So I spent a couple of years on active duty in the early 2000s, from 2000 to 2004. Uh, and then when I left the military. I just kind of, um, you know, bounced around a little bit. I moved to Chicago and I actually worked for Governor Bogoyevich when he, uh, prior to him being uh, incarcerated, I uh, worked for him for a little bit and eventually uh, decided that I needed to get more of a business background and ended up down in Champaign in the full-time MBA program there at Illinois. And that's kind of what uh, the path that led me there. I happened to be enrolled as a full-time uh, business school student then from 2007 to 2009, which I'm sure all of your listeners remember, that was basically the depths of the Great Recession. Yep. And uh, while I was there, you know, I was working part-time actually in the uh, career department, just, you know, helping out uh, where I could. And I was taking, you know, that fall of 2008, I started to take calls from corporations that had basically you know, they were really either eliminating or slowing down their hiring. And they were telling the career department, hey, look, we're going to you know, postpone our visits on campus and really not doing recruiting anymore. I kind of saw the writing on the wall personally at that point and realized that, you know, if I, I was in business school to, as a career changer and I just saw that there was going to be a very limited window of opportunity for me to actually find meaningful employment after business school, um, on campus. And so I needed to find another way to do that. So uh, Chris, you, you've been through, uh, pretty much every stage of, uh, of, of a business. Uh, you've been talking, uh, a little bit about sort of the idea phase, but, uh, let's talk a little bit about the sort of the, the execution. And what I find fascinating, Chris, about your, uh, about your business is that it's a business that really has a tremendous social impact. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, the short version of this was, you know, what I ultimately did was uh, myself and a couple of classmates down at Champaign, we'd all been in the military. And basically what we said was like, look, we identified white space opportunity. And for us, that was, you know, back in 07, 08, 09, uh, the government was putting a lot of pressure on the private sector to do more to hire military veterans. And we said, well, look, in a bad economy, you know, how is it going to be possible for these big Fortune 500 companies to actually do that in a way when veterans are a small percentage of the population. And we kind of looked around and said, you know what, probably the easiest way to do that is to create a hiring conference. And um, we did that. And, and that's exactly what we did. We said, well, look, why don't we create our own hiring conference? We'll do it in Chicago. We'll bring in veterans like ourselves from across the Midwest and then ultimately the United States. And we even had people from overseas join us at some of our conferences. And um, we just took this very simple but effective model of networking, which is a conference model, and we just created a, uh, 
an event out of it that just turned into a, a pretty robust business. Absolutely. So, Chris, your first event in Chicago in 2009, um, you had 15 companies, 140 veterans, which is just incredible, featured in the Wall Street Journal. Um, and that led to uh, you created some software. What I find fascinating, Chris, is is uh, the sort of how you have leveraged and you, you spent every moment throughout the business constantly focused on what's next and trying to find a way to make it um, more effective. Um, Chris, there, obviously I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, by, by the story and the impact that you've been able to have. Um, but at what point did you determine that sort of what the end game would be that, that, you know, obviously the more impact you can have, the more veterans you can help, the more attention, frankly, that you can raise on this very important issue is all well and good. But did you all along have an exit plan in place? Uh, no, absolutely not. I'm like, I think that the best way to describe me is I'm an accidental entrepreneur, right? Where uh, I don't think it was, you know, I was always kind of a hustler as a kid, but I, I never had envisioned starting a company and certainly not a company that I would ultimately sell. Um, I, I really, what ended up happening was I was running this business as uh, eventually as a side gig. So I had a full-time job with Procter and Gamble, uh, ultimately left the Chicago area and moved to Cincinnati. And I had actually gotten that job, uh, through one of these conferences that we had created. Uh, and I was running this business because it was kind of a labor of love. I really enjoyed helping other veterans. I had found success through it. I knew we could help other people. I really liked helping corporations out as well, too. And the, because it was an annual event, it was something that was cyclical, and it was, I was able to focus some energy on it on, on nights and weekends. However, uh, and I did that actually for five and a half years. My business partner and I both did it as a, as a sidekick. But like any business, eventually it starts to, if it's successful, it'll sort of take off in its own direction. And my capacity to operate it sort of as a side thing um, was ending by about 2015. And so what I decided to do was like, let me jump full in on this. Let's see where we can take it. That was really the point where we tried to figure out how are we going to grow. Uh, we left. We decided we needed to leave our jobs to do it. So we went full time in, in the uh, fall of 2015 uh, and left the business. And then uh, from there, we started thinking about what is the future of this company and where does it go? And as it started to grow, my business partner and I realized that, you know, we didn't want to be doing this business ourselves personally when we were 45 or 50 years old. Uh, we also knew that it would, without building a bigger team, we weren't the, the sort of ability for us to grow the business as a small shop um, was going to require additional investment in people and resources, and things like that. And we kind of evaluated two options. One was doing exactly that. Let's go out and find people and hire them and train them to run the business as we grow it. Or let's try to consider maybe finding a strategic partner that wants to acquire us, bring us into the fold, and then we can use their pre-existing resources to actually make that growth possible. And so um, we debated back and forth which of those two we were going to go. And ultimately, uh, we decided that we would uh, begin to evaluate selling the company. And I know, Chris, that uh, fast forward through a couple of details, um, you ended up uh, just, uh, I guess it was last year, um, you uh, you ended up uh, uh, essentially going through the process that uh, that ended up resulting in the uh, in the sale. Uh, but Chris, I, I we only have a couple of minutes, and I want to make sure that yep. we get some some really critical advice for some of our entrepreneurial listeners uh, that are out there. Uh, Chris, you, uh, you and your partners, you certainly uh, seem to be uh, 
I, I guess, uh, imaginative and, and creative uh, people. What advice do you have for our listeners that are out there that have, that have a lot of ideas? How did you determine that your idea is going to uh, have some merit and actually will be a success? Did you come up with multiple ideas or was this the one that you knew it is going to be a winner? Well, I think we had, the reason we knew it would be successful is that no one was in the space. Like we knew that there would be companies were looking to hire more veterans and they were looking to find people that were, that there was just a niche. Like we basically found a super premium niche that no one was operating in. And we really felt like we could go after now. And we just basically had this sort of uh, grit and determination and perseverance to sort of see it come to fruition. And we just kind of saw a market opportunity and jumped at it. And so, and that was actually something that we did over the course of time. So we started out with one brand, one business, and we evolved it into four distinctive events, four distinctive brands that were sort of tailored to different audiences within the veteran community, different customer groups. Um, and that was what enabled us to grow over time. So every time we, we felt like there were kind of line extensions of that portfolio, every time we, we couldn't go after every single idea, but the ones that either our customers mm-hmm. were asking us for or uh, we just kind of saw a market opportunity for it. Those are the ones that we decided to go chase. What about inspiration? Both uh, those that inspired you to to uh, to, to help veterans, um, but also, uh, you know, for our listeners that are hearing uh, everything that you've talked about, what organizations, what books would you recommend that our listeners sort of uh, get in touch with and, and do some research on? So for us, the, the the best decision that we made, and I would make this recommendation to any small business owner, two things. Uh, one is there are business brokers out there who are specialists in helping small businesses and medium-sized businesses not just sell their businesses, but they'll help to evaluate yours and help you figure out what improvements you could make to make your business more attractive to a prospective buyer. We started talking to a couple business uh, business brokers. That was really instrumental, and I recommend uh, connecting with the International Business Brokers Association. Uh, I think they're out of Chicago. Well, Chris Peterson, I'm going to have to leave it there. We're about to be Got cut it. off. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'd love to have you back on when you're in Chicago. Thanks for sharing your story with us. You're listening to Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. As promised, I'm thrilled to be joined by Barbara Mitchell, the author, an author, speaker, and human resources consultant. She is the author of the Manager's Answer book. What a fascinating read, Barbara. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Delighted to be with you tonight. Absolutely. What a uh, interesting uh, topic. So you uh, you talk about a topic that we hear quite a bit about on this program, questions from our listeners about building teams. So, Barbara, what is the, uh, the high-level summary of the core challenge that you hope to address with your book? Well, we, we know that so many people take on managerial roles without having a lot of preparation. Many organizations take someone who's good at a technical skill or perhaps a good salesperson, and they promote them, and they say, okay, today you're going to manage the sales force. And they don't give them any of the skills that perhaps managers need. And so that's why we put this book together to kind of help either the new manager who doesn't ever has never managed people before or someone perhaps who's been a manager for a while but never really had any grounding in some of the things that make a good for good management. Barbara, you so know a, a thing it. or two about yeah. uh, about large uh, large uh, corporations and and large teams. You spent much of your long HR career with Marriott International, um, which uh, 
you must have had so many interesting experiences. So I, I, I want to go through uh, one or two of the scenarios that you talk about in the book. Um, you sure. talk a little bit about uh, diverse workforces, which certainly is a great challenge to have. But um, what sort of guidance and advice do you talk about in the book about how to manage uh, that interaction in that environment? Most importantly is to, for the manager to get to know the people that are in his or her uh, downline that they're managing uh, because people are different. Whether there's diversity, what we like to talk about is, you know, there, there are certain elements of diversity. Everybody talks about the, the obvious ones, gender, race, but there's all kinds of other diversity that you want to have in your organization. And in order to know whether you have a good level of diversity, you have to know your people. What are they really good at? What are their passions? What are their interests? How do they think? Because diversity of thought is what I think is driving, especially entrepreneurial organizations now. You don't want everybody to think alike. You want people to come from different perspectives and have different opinions. And a good manager knows how to draw those opinions out without creating uh, more conflict than is just uh, normal in an organization. Absolutely. We're chatting with Barbara Mitchell, the uh, author of The Manager's Answer Book, which, Barbara, it sounds like is a great read for both business owners as well as uh, managers within uh, within uh, corporations, organizations alike. And um, we've got time for one more scenario, which I hear a lot about. Um, many people uh, that I talk to have recently been promoted into a management uh, level role, and they're starting to adjust to certain responsibilities, but they're they're feeling lonely. They're feeling cut off from the people that they used to brainstorm with, the people that they used to interact with. What advice do you have for them? How can they keep both that interaction as well as stay on top of their very, very key responsibilities. That's a great point because it is lonely. The higher you go up in an organization sometimes. So my, our recommendation would be to kind of have your own little board of directors. Maybe it's people either outside your organization that have a, you're a peer that perhaps you know from a networking group where you can run ideas by them, or you can do it within your organization as well. People that are perhaps at your level, schedule some lunches and just say, you know, I bet we have some of the same challenges. Uh, Why don't we get together and kind of figure out how we can work together? And I think being open and most importantly, being able to listen to other people and not thinking, oh, I'm a manager now. I have to know everything. Nobody knows everything. You have to be able to uh, reach out and ask for help, but get expert advice. And hopefully we've, we've done that in, in this book. Uh, but just I think people need to just be open and say, you know, I don't have all the answers. Know what you know, you but get... also know what you don't know, which is so important. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yes. Well, and I think your employees respect you, too, when you can vulnerable like that. Absolutely. Well, Barbara, it's a great read, and I don't want to spill all of the beans. I don't want to share all of the fantastic secrets that you share in the book. It's a great read, lots of great information. Again, regardless of where you might be in the corporate world, there's something that you can learn in the Manager's Answer book. There's something for everyone. So before we go any further, Barbara, as we run out of time, I want to make sure that um, that our listeners know where they can find it. Do you have a website? Sure do. Uh, actually, the website is bigbookofhr.com because that's another book that we did together. So bigbookofhr.com and we also uh, tweet under that same uh, Big Book of HR. Uh, So you can uh, get all kinds of interesting information on our website and also through through Twitter and our blog. 
Fantastic. And the book is called um, The Manager's Answer Book. Thank you so much, Barbara, for joining us on the air. We'll be right back. More on Get Down to Business coming up in just a moment. Welcome back, Chicago. You're listening to the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. You're listening to Get Down to Business. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. You can check out our podcast, ShalomKlein.com. Follow me on Twitter at ShalomKlein. We are on Facebook Live right now. Uh, you can check that out. Get down to business with Shalom Klein. So I'm thrilled. I was actually very excited by uh, by uh, our next guest, David Stolman, the Lake County treasurer and a very dear friend, uh, somebody who has done so, so much for community. Uh, David, welcome to the program. Well, Shalom, this is an absolute honor and a privilege. So it's wonderful speaking with you and Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And David, you are one of the few people that I know that can uh, that has been cloned and can be in multiple places at the same time. Because while I have you here on, on the air, I know that you are involved in community efforts at the same time. So I very, very much appreciate you uh, taking the time to at least have one of the... Uh, one of the uh, one of the angles of David Solman uh, joining me here on Get Down to Business. So, David, um, my pleasure. My so, pleasure. David, uh, you you've played a number of different roles in Lake County. You yes, sir. you have been yes. the Lake County Chairman, but right now you're serving as Lake County Treasurer. Uh, tell us Correct. a little bit about what the Treasurer does in uh, in Lake County. The Treasurer, great, great. The Treasurer's responsibility is really statutory. So, in essence, we compile about 270,000 individual tax bills. We don't set, we don't determine the taxes. But we get uh, figures from basically the township assessors. It's a little bit different in Lake County because we have townships and in Cook County, you get your assessor makes the determination. Uh, they look at the, all the taxing bodies in the district. Here we have townships. So the townships assessors will actually go out and look at the property and they will see and compile all the different taxing bodies, your schools, your villages, your park districts, your library boards. Uh, all of them will be comprised on your tax bill, and the assessor will value your property, so that's your sliver of the pie, if you will. We get all of that tax, we get all of that computation, and we put together a tax bill. We send it out. We only mail out one bill to make it more economical, but we have two different installments. This year was uh, June 6th and September 6th. Um, we, so we send out approximately 270,000 individual bills. We collect the money. We invest the money quickly. We invest the money wisely. And then we disperse the money to the various taxing bodies, the schools, the villages, the park districts, all in proportion to how the tax money comes in. Um, we manage about close to $2.5 billion worth of taxpayer money. And we've made millions of dollars worth of investments, and those are passed on to the taxing bodies, which is great. David, if there's one word that uh, that has been used to describe you, there's uh, there's a, a word transparency, because that's something I know that you have championed through your office. Um, being transparent uh, in every step of the way. And that's not only in your role as treasurer, but you've been on the Lake County Board, you've been uh, board chairman. What? Uh, why is transparency important to you, and what are some of your... Uh, greatest accomplishments well, uh, during your uh, during your most recent term. Let me just tell you basically what transparency involves. So when I was county board chairman, one of the first things I wanted to do was to get the actual county checkbook online so that people could see where their money is being spent and what where it's going for. Um, with regard to the to the treasurer's office, it's so important to have transparency because you want to see where your tax dollars are going. So even not only have I revised the tax bill explaining everything. We have a 
we've completely modernized the website to make it easy and transparent and, and navigable. It's a, you, you can be a, a, a kindergartner and actually have fun on our website uh, seeing what's going on. But the reality is we even came up with an app this year that will actually be like Google Earth. It'll you put it fill in your app, your either address or your PIN number, which is the your property index number, and it'll zoom down to your property so that you'll see your property, your subdivision. You can click on your particular property. It'll give you a, a breakdown with regard to all of your different taxing bodies, and then you click on that, and then it will actually take you to the websites for the schools, for the villages, for the park districts. We wanted to make sure that people knew where their money was being spent and where and who's really accountable for everything. When you look at our taxes, about 70% go to the schools, and then the rest are all comprised between the park district and the villages and the, and the library districts. The county is only seven cents on the dollar and always has been probably one of the most you know reasonable amounts. You get the courts, you get transportation, you get the sheriffs. Everything is comprised in the county. And you're transparent about how those pennies are, are, are being yes, spent, yes, um, which is which yes, is really sir. important. So, David, what are the uh, what are your accomplishments um, that you are most proud of championing? I know that you are very involved in economic development, which is something that uh, is very important well, to me and to many of our uh, entrepreneurial listeners. Yes, economic development is extraordinarily important because without that, you don't have growth. And growth in the sense being that if you have economic development it will open up corridors for business for business. So in essence, one of the things that I started when I first got elected and I was elected first as a county commissioner and then ultimately moved into roles of leadership. I was chairman of the county finance. I was vice chairman of the county board. And then as you, as you accurately said, I was county board chairman for a number of years. One of the things that I first did was get involved and we started something called the um, County Partners, which is a public-private partnership. It is really the basis of many throughout the world of uh, public-private partnerships where uh, you have a public entity, you have private endeavors getting together for economic development. What we try to do is retain businesses and also encourage new businesses to move to Lake County because without the growth, you don't have... Look, growth will make taxes for the homeowner reduced. So the more businesses that move in, the less responsibility will be, and less onus will be on the, the, the backs of the, of the homeowners. And in essence, one of the things that we first did was we moved what was the Economic Development Department of the county into something that was a not-for-profit. It was a 501c3 that was called Lake County Partners that actually is a public-private endeavor, and it's been very, very successful over these years. It has, and I've so been privileged been, to, uh, been to work to closely with you and with uh, with Lake County Partners and many of the projects yes, that you've championed. So, David, we are running out of time, and I know that the best way for people to learn more about you and your policy initiatives that you've already put in place, and I know, I hope that uh, that that uh, our listeners uh, that live in Lake County will give you another opportunity to continue your service um, by oh, putting you on the ballot. Thank you. And that website is davidstolman.com, um, exactly yes, as it sounds. But um, really, really quick as we uh, as we head to break, what is the what what's uh, one of your goals in your next term? Well, the goals really are to encourage. We're, we're in the process right now of converting. We have sixteen year old software. I don't know if you've ever been through a software conversion. <laughs> it's horrible. It's it's incredible. You're working three times the same job, and in essence, what we're hopeful of do hopeful of doing is getting it implemented this year. We did a early prepayment. We got 23,000 people that came in at the end of December of 2017. 
and we, we didn't have a computer system to handle it. We were ill-equipped to handle it. We had to come up with and devise our own David, computer, you've done fantastic uh, work. We're going to have to leave it there. We're cutting to break. Okay. DavidStolman.com. Learn more about his work. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Chicago. You're listening to the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Uh, welcome back. Um, we've had a fascinating discussion with Chris Peterson, uh, Maureen Wozniak from the Better Business Bureau. Really fascinating stories of uh, people making a difference and uh, people that have operated their businesses based on success um, and based on high uh, ethical values, which we certainly uh, hold near and dear on this program. So I want to share some tips with you, um, as we always do on this program. Um, we have so many different ways to reach out to each other. Uh, I continue to be uh, bombarded with email and uh, text as a constant as well. I have friends and family who are best reached by Instagram, others who are faithful to Facebook. And of course, there are those who set aside time to, uh, to connect by phone or Skype. There's a lot of choices, a lot of words going back and forth, but often we're not communicating. So what is absent from, um, from our communication and how can we improve? The word communication comes from the Latin and old French um, words, and it means the act of imparting, discussing, debating, conferring. Um, and half of that definition implies a real-time exchange of information and ideas. Uh, and uh, it's a part that we're often missing. I gained clarity about this over the summer and realized that there's a very simple solution. During the month of August, I took on a video creation project that involved many people. It was one of those situations where the ideal deadline had passed even before we got started. Yikes. So my job was to create for an organization that I was working with eight different videos. This was a substantial learning curve for me. And I experienced many hours and days where I produced nothing of value. When I did complete the video, I sent it along to a friend of mine who did some graphics and this was hours of work. A lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, graphics were needed, especially for the videos that ran over 15 minutes. Uh, and once we were finished, the video and graphics went to our editor. He dedicated 154 hours to produce all of the final videos for the clients. The three of us automatically fell in love uh, and fell into the in-the-loop habit with this project without ever discussing it. Each of us let the others know in a few very brief emails what part of the project we were working on. When we'd finish, we ran into a snag or delay, what we needed from each other. Communication was smooth, easy, consistent, and reliable. And while you might think that the numerous messages might be annoying, the very opposite was true. I experienced less stress because I always knew the status of the project and what was expected of me. And I remained confident in our ability to complete the work for the client, even though the final delivery date was less than ideal. I followed a simple pattern of in-the-loop communication with the client. While I didn't send daily updates, I did make sure that everybody was aware of the progress, knew when the videos were at which stage and when they were uploaded. I especially let them know that we, when we experienced some delays, and indeed there were plenty of delays and what to expect in terms of a new timeline. This is essential communication. Too often we hesitate to send these messages and embrace a level of denial instead. I spend a lot of time talking on this program about communication and how to handle uh, that bombarding, that bombardment of communication that we, that we often face in our daily lives. Um, we hope that we'll catch up quickly and that our inability to keep our word will be silently accepted. But when we do this, we create stress for both ourselves, our clients, our colleagues, and we damage our brand. The client had a lot going on, big learning curves, 
multiple deadlines to travel. As a result, they respond to updates only once. While understandable, this fueled my stress, worries, and concerns about the project. The ultimate value of communication exists when there's information in response. Sending information doesn't necessarily mean we're being that we are actually communicating. Lots of uh, lots of interesting messages over there. Uh, so I hope you find this helpful in your work. Thanks so much for joining us on Get Down to Business to Success. Let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560.